<laughs> Pot of gold. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. It is Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. I am your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a great show for you today. So stick around. Did that sound okay? I think that one was okay. I'm sorry, guys. I've done this like 10 times. Can't can't get it right, you know? I'm just out here grinding. You know, I want to bring forward a, a high-quality product for you guys. I know that you're a high-quality audience, and I want to bring forth a high-quality product. So I grind, you know? I'm out here grinding. Just in the studio grinding, you know? Keep on the grind. But I think that one was good. I think we'll use that. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We've got a great show for you. Mooch Smith is the guest. Mooch Smith. So if you don't know Mooch Smith, he's currently the athletic... Ooh, that sounded a little lithby. See, what happens is my headphones occasionally will block my jawbone from being able to slide correctly. And, and then that will cause me to say some words with a little bit of a schlop to it. Okay, so if you catch that, just ignore it. Don't be rude. What, are you trying to embarrass me? Anyway, <clears throat> back at it. Mooch Smith, which as you know, Mooch, it's not a common name. Not at all a common name. You might think, what, what is this guy like? Does he like to take from the government or something? What is he like, a, a welfare queen? Mooch Smith, welfare queen. That sounds like a reality show right there. But no, no, the truth is his name is Mooch for unknown reasons. I actually did not ask him in the podcast. I might have to put a ding in later because the people are going to want to know. But what I do know is that I've always called him Mooch. Everyone I know calls him Mooch. His name is Mooch. Mooch Smith. And it is actually short for Aldrich. So I don't know how that came about, but his name is Aldrich Smith. We call him Mooch. You can call him Mooch or Mr. Smith probably to you depending on who you are in society. It's a good show. We get into some really good stuff. It starts off a little weird, I'll be honest. It it starts off slow and it, it just kind of builds. But right at first, we're kind of feeling each other out and you get to feel a little bit of that tension. I left that in and it's, it's kind of cool. I like that. Can you guys tell that I'm shirtless on this podcast? I don't know if that's obvious or not. I uh, was getting sweaty and it, I was having a hard time regulating heat so I just popped the shirt off. And you know, I'm happy with the decision. I have not regretted it yet. It's just kind of nice out here just with myself, with my thoughts and my shirtless body. I decided to keep the pants on, but that's neither here nor there. Better check the notes. I'm a little bit scatterbrained today. I'm working on a Patreon episode. I've already recorded it and edited most of it. It's, it's almost done. I just got to add music and transitions. It's a good one, too. It's a little something a little different, something to surprise you. So if you're on Patreon, go check that out. If you're not already on Patreon and you're interested in subscribing, go ahead over to ramblebytheriver.com. Go click the subscribe link at the top of the page, and that will take you right over to Patreon, where you can select your subscription options and all of that. This may come as a shock to you guys, but I have to make a correction. I know, I know, I know. But it's true. I made an error in the podcast last week. During the introduction, I was having a discussion with my colleague Jeffrey Hilton, during which we discussed the final song, Blinded by the Light, where the error was made is in who we attributed the recording to. Let's take a listen, shall we? Like uh, that song, what is it? Uh, Blinded by the Light. 
You know okay. that song? Yeah. Electric Light Orchestra, right? Uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive. No, no, it's it's Electric Light Orchestra. Okay. But but um, the it's written by Bruce Springsteen. Mm. That motherfucker. Blinded by the Light was originally written and recorded by Bruce Springsteen, and it appeared on his 1973 debut album, the broadly despised Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. A cover version of the song by the British rock band Manfred Man's Earth Band reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States in February 1977, and it was also a top 10 hit in the United Kingdom, New Zealand, and Canada. Go figure. It is a great song, too. If you haven't heard it, what have you been doing with your life? As you undoubtedly just heard, Mr. Hilton attributed the song to Bachman-Turner Overdrive, while I myself incorrectly attributed the song to Electric Light Orchestra. Easy mistakes anyone could have made. But we do apologize. I always pictured a Curly Whirly being like a helicopter. An Early Burly was just like some friendly alien being or something, you know? Regardless, he was there to help. I don't know what he was doing, but he was offering rides. He probably had a gas can. Who knows, but we digress, do we not? The point is, I made a mistake. And I want you guys to forgive me for it. That's the whole point. That's why I'm talking about this shit. I don't want to bring this up. It's embarrassing. Do you guys forgive me? If you do forgive me, go to my Instagram page, at RambleByTheRiver, follow the page, and comment on the most recent post saying, Jeff, I forgive you. Thank you. And if you don't forgive me, go to my Twitter at RambleRiverPod and tweet at me, at RambleRiverPod, I don't forgive you. Thank you. And if you're neutral and not quite sure if you're ready to forgive, please go to my Facebook at RambleByTheRiver and comment on my timeline and say, Jeff, I'm just not quite ready to forgive. I know we've come a long way, but I still hurt. And you hurt me with your falsehoods. And, you know, hopefully we can move past this. Or something like that, you know? Again, that's at Ramble River Pod on Twitter and at Ramble by the River on Facebook and Instagram. Do you guys like when I have guests in the intros? I know the whole guest thing is usually for the main part of the show, but every once in a while I bring my dog or my daughter or my son or my wife or my buddy in here. And we kind of chit-chat while we talk about the news and stuff. I like doing them. I feel like they're a little more entertaining, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Shoot it. Shoot a message to me or... No, don't do that. Do something public so people can see that you're talking to me and that I exist. And leave a comment somewhere. I don't know. Get engaged, you know? Get engaged. Be part of the action. I think that sometimes people think I'm just saying this shit to say it, but I really mean it. I genuinely want the audience to be engaged. Give me... Give me ideas. Give me pointers. Suggest guests. When people do that, I actually listen. I don't always feature the guests, but I at least take a look. Hmm. So we've talked a lot about crypto and the metaverse and things like that on this podcast. And I've always been very interested in virtual reality. And so I was. I wanted to talk about this a little bit. I've been playing golf in the metaverse. I played a round of golf last night with my wife in the metaverse. And it's badass. I'm playing on Oculus Quest 2, and I'm playing Golf Plus is the game. And I'm not that good. It's it's really fun, though. I like it. It's enjoyable. It's relaxing. It feels very realistic. The haptics are good. When you tap the ball, it feels like a golf ball tapping off a club. But yeah, the metaverse is here. The metaverse is here. And I'm not sure if it's here to stay or not. I hope so. I think it is. 
but who knows. Ever since Facebook changed its name to Meta and decided they were a metaverse company, I've been pretty much convinced that the metaverse will be a thing. It's it's real now. A year ago, I wasn't sure. And I was talking about it and kind of trying to get my feet in the water, put a toe in at least. So, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on. A couple names if you want to look into it. Look at spatial.io. Look at portals. And that one you can find at theportal.to. Both of those links you can find in the show notes for this episode. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, metaverse, crypto, NFTs, that whole shebang, I recorded an episode this week with Eric Gray from Astoria, and he is into NFTs also, uh, specifically this project called The Wanderers, and it's pretty cool. It's like a music NFT. And we talked a lot about that stuff, metaverse, crypto, all that kind of stuff. So if you're really into that, come back in a few weeks. We will have a full episode about it. Shout out to our guest from last week, Hannah Clarity. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show. You were a fantastic guest. I really enjoyed our conversation. If you want to hear that, it is at ramblebytheriver.com, as well as all the main podcast players. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. Name a podcast player. It's on there. And if it's not, go to the one of the ones I just said. What, are you crazy? All right, so what's going on in the world? Let's look at some news and current events. All right, top stories. Wall Street Journal. U.S. wants to see Russia weakened, says Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin after a Ukraine visit. Oh, wow, what a break. Fucking ridiculous. Of course we want to see that. Washington Post says Elon Musk acquires Twitter for roughly $44 billion. What? That just came out seven minutes ago. That is breaking news. Holy shit. If you don't think that's a big deal, which I, I imagine a lot of people probably don't, it is. Because that has become a de facto public service. Like, it's a public utility, basically. I mean, think about during the Trump presidency. Was there any other way to get direct news from the president? No. He wasn't putting out press briefings. He was tweeting from the toilet, probably. So the Washington Post reports, this is by Douglas McMillan. It came out April 25th at 4.25 p.m. That's today. It's 2.08 p.m. It came out two and a half hours in the future. San Francisco. What? That's Pacific time. I don't understand how this is possible, but I don't care either because it's clearly not from the future. Right? San Francisco. Elon Musk acquired Twitter for $44 billion on Monday, the company announced, giving the world's richest person command of one of the most influential social media sites, which serves as a platform for political leaders, a sounding board for experts across the industries, and an information hub for millions of everyday users. True dat, true dat. The acquisition followed weeks of evangelizing on the necessity of free speech as the Tesla CEO seized on Twitter's role as the de facto town square. Well, shit, I guess I'm not the first person to use the fancy de facto term. And took umbrage with the... Ooh, umbrage, I'm gonna throw that one in later. And took umbrage with the content moderation efforts he has seen as an escalation towards censorship. He said he sees Twitter as essential to the functioning of democracy and said the economics are not a concern. Well, they might be a small concern, Elon. 44 bill. Ownership of Twitter gives Musk power over hugely consequential societal and political issues. 
perhaps most significantly, the ban on former President Donald Trump that the website enacted in response to the January 6th riots. Under the terms of the deal, Twitter will become a private company, and shareholders will receive $54.20 per share, the company said in a news release. The deal is expected to close this year. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated, Musk said in a release. I feel like that was a damn good Elon Musk. I, I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features and making the, the algorithms more open to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. Musk's positions have put him relatively at odds with current leadership at the site, raising questions about how he will seek to steer his changes through and whether they will impact Twitter's current executive makeup. That's crazy. Well, good for you, Elon. Good for you, Elon. I hope it goes well. What else we got? Oh, shit. Red Bull's plane swap stunt ended with a crash in Arizona. That sucks. I was just watching a video about this yesterday, or maybe the day before. Damn. From what I understand, the plan on this stunt was to take two pilots, two planes, fly them way, 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 way up there, put the planes in free fall, jump out of the planes, switch planes, and then pull them up before they crash into the earth. And that sounds like a crazy idea to me. It's the Red Bull team. They do all kinds of crazy stunts. Some of them are really dangerous. They're all really dangerous. So if anybody could do it, it's these guys. But apparently nobody can do it. Oh, here's the video. All right, so here they go. The planes are going into free fall. You can see both planes on the camera. They're both pointed down. Pilots jump out. And then one of the planes decides, nah, fuck this, I'm out of here. And it just starts flipping around in circles. And Wow, that's scary. The other one is going straight down still, and the pilot is just getting up to it. He's on the plane. He said blue plane is out of control. And the pilot is just hauling ass. Oh my god. One plane's good. Pilot's in the seat, flying the plane. I wonder if they're going to show the crash. Oh. Second pilot is in a parachute now. All right, parachute's open. Out of the way of the plane. Oh yeah, there's a plane falling. The plane is just barely now down towards Earth, spinning. Okay, it doesn't show the wreck, but you can assume when a plane is falling with no pilot, it's gonna crash. Well, hopefully nobody was injured. That sucks. Can't win them all, huh? And finally, in celebrity news, or legal news, whatever you want to consider it, Johnny Depp and his ex-wife Amber Heard have had a very public divorce proceedings just broadcast to the world through Twitter Live and probably other stuff too. I'm not sure why, but it has been coming up in my news feed all the time. I watched a little bit of this trial. It was interesting. Johnny Depp is a captivating speaker. And even when he's on the stand describing domestic violence, he's, he's good to watch, you know? 
It was fairly entertaining. I think the gist of it was they fought a lot and she would get violent and drunk and <gasps> they both drank, I think. I don't know. I, I shouldn't be giving details. This, this is, I don't know enough. But what I did hear is that she threw a half gallon of vodka at his hand when his hand was like draped over the edge of the bar. And the bottle exploded on his hand and shattered his hand, shattered the bottle, and he had to go to the hospital. It was terrible. It sounds legitimately awful. And I'm sure nobody would give a shit if they weren't famous, but they are famous, so I'm talking about it. But yeah, I've lost interest, and now we're moving on. Last couple headlines before we move on from news. We got a little bit in the Trump department. Reuters reported that Trump says he won't return to Twitter if if his account is reinstated after Musk takeover. That was posted one hour ago, and I'm sure he won't because he's got his own social media platform now. Wouldn't be surprised, though, actually, if he did return just to advertise his social media platform. Who knows? What is it, Truth Social? I don't know. I'm not on there. Also, the Washington Post reported Donald Trump held in contempt for failing to provide business records. I have a feeling that one won't stick on Mr. Teflon. I don't even need to look at the details of that. The man got impeached and everyone forgot. All right, that's all for news. I'm trying to think of how to introduce the guest today. And I want to be careful with how I word things because words matter. Okay, so I scheduled this interview a long time ago. Actually, it might have even been a whole year ago. We, we have talked about it many times, gone back and forth about possibly doing it. And just it just never happened. So I have had plenty of opportunities to play it out in my head of how it could go, which you do with everybody. It's a lot harder with strangers because you don't know anything about them. Actually, it's not harder. It's easier with strangers because you basically follow a script. Like, hey, we're just meeting. This is the way you behave when you just met somebody. And it's easy with people who I see all the time because we're connected. We know the ins and outs of how to communicate smoothly. But I have noticed that it's much harder to get that connection and that flow with somebody who I once had a close relationship with and have had some significant time pass since then. And now we're trying to record a podcast. That's what happened here with Mooch. I had this view in my head of who he was, but it was based largely on my experiences with him up until age 17 when he graduated. And then I didn't really see him again for you know, like 15 years other than, you know, at the grocery store, social media, driving down the road, see him at the occasional game, things like that. But we're not sitting down and having conversations. We're not interacting on a level where I'm getting to know him as a person or getting to continue to know him as a person. So I'm just getting what I see from social media, what you hear from other people and just kind of around the community. So when I was envisioning this interview, I was kind of picturing Mooch the goofball, Mooch the kid, just as an adult version, fatter, a fatter version of the, of the teenager. But that is not at all who came and sat down in the studio that day. The guy who came and sat down was mature and well-spoken and thoughtful. And the kicker was that he was kind. That is something I did not remember from original Mooch, teenage Mooch. And he wasn't like a mean person. He wasn't malicious or anything, but he was not spending a lot of time considering the feelings of others when he spoke or when he behaved, regardless of the situation. He was very much egocentric at the time, as most teenage boys are. Okay, so during the podcast today, you will hear me 
confront Mooch with a story about a time when he was really rude to me. And I may or may not have deserved it. I don't know. That's up to you to decide. But I told him the story, and in my head, I had pictured it being funny. And I thought he would laugh, or I, I, or maybe he would feel a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but justify it, or say I was wrong. I don't know. I pictured it being like, uh, I don't know. I just thought it would be funny. But it wasn't funny at all. It didn't come across as funny to me, at least. It, it came across like I was confronting my bully. And that is not at all what was happening. I legitimately did not ever feel bullied by Mooch. He did offend me. He did offend me. I will say that. But who didn't? I was always getting offended by people talking about my weight. People just always thought it was okay to talk about my weight. I don't know why that is. If you're overweight, I feel for you. People are always just pointing it out. Like it's just like, I don't know. But regardless, I'm, I'm getting distracted talking about chubby memories. Um, the point is, there were other times that I didn't mention in the podcast where Mooch was really a special kid. And I recognized it then as one of my peers, and I see it especially now. I saw little glimmers of it as a kid with a couple, a couple of memories I can recall really easily. But now that little glimmer of kindness, that little spark of whatever that good thing is, has really matured and blossomed into being kind of who Mooch is as a person. Sitting down with him was really kind of inspiring because it, it made me realize like there are so many good people around here and he's one of them. It's really nice to see people who genuinely care about kids, about education and about just the systems that keep society in order. It's really cool. When I was in seventh grade, I was in leadership in school, ASB. I was the class president, humble brag. Uh, part of that meant going to a leadership camp. So the leadership camp was at Cispus, which is in some mystical land that I don't even know. It's in Washington or Oregon. I still don't really know where it is, but it's Cispus. And the camp was seventh graders, eighth graders, and ninth graders. So I was one of the younger kids at the camp. So I was just very insecure. I was chubby. I was new at this job of ASB president. And I was just, I had no confidence whatsoever. On top of that, I was very socially awkward. I had no skills for making friends, came from a small town, I had all my friends picked for me. And then all of a sudden I was just surrounded by kids slightly older than me, but around my same age that I was supposed to just interact with really for the first time. And I had no fucking idea how. It was really awful. This was like five days of misery. And um, Mooch made it less miserable. Mooch was the eighth grade vice president, if I recall. And he was at the camp too. He didn't know me well at all, actually. We just knew each other through football. We didn't have a real relationship. And he was nice to me. It was cool. I mean, he wasn't that nice to me. It's not like he did anything special, but the other kids were being so fucking mean that he felt like a safe person. Let me set the scene. 13-year-old me doesn't have a lot of friends, but I do have a few really good ones. And I had convinced them to do ASB with me, so they were going to be coming to this camp too. One of those friends was Florencia Montserrat Galvan, guest 
on the podcast, episode 57. First episode of this season, she was a guest. So we were, we were buddies in sixth grade. She was my vice president in seventh grade. She was supposed to be at this camp, but for some reason did not make it. But that was okay, because my friend Danny was gonna be there. Danny, I think he was secretary or treasurer. He was treasurer. So it's seventh grade. I haven't seen my friends all summer. This, this camp happened, I think, one of the last few weeks of summer. So I hadn't seen them, hadn't talked to them about getting there or anything. I was just trusting that they were gonna make it. I was nervous as hell because it was really the first time I was going to be going. I never went to any summer camps as a kid. I, I really didn't go very far away from home. I, didn't, I just didn't have experience with a lot of other strange kids. So I was super nervous and it's never been easy for me to make friends. The week leading up to this camp, my mom had been out of town. So all the packing had been done by me and my dad. We realized while I was packing that I didn't really have a good coat, I didn't have a watch, I didn't have socks, I, I didn't have a lot of the shit that I was supposed to have that was on the list of things to bring. So my dad just gave me his shit. So I had a 40-year-old man's socks, coat, watch, and sleeping bag, actually that too. Everything was just like big. I remember just being big. And anyway, that's not really important to the story, but to make matters more interesting, we had also decided that we would take the Honda Shadow, the motorcycle, to Sispis. So when I packed, I had to keep in mind to pack light. And I was probably 150 pounds at the time. I was not a small 13-year-old. And I remember the ride up there, my ass hurting so fucking bad that I had like to stop and pull the sleeping bag and pillow and shove it under my ass, give me some cushion. Even as a fat kid, I had no ass. I've just got no ass. We get there on a motorcycle and the camp is packed. So there's just kids milling about everywhere. And everybody looks at me as we get there because we're on a fucking motorcycle. They're noisy. And I get off this motorcycle thinking, oh, obviously this is gonna be cool because I just made a cool entrance and I'm gonna walk over and see Danny and Flo and it's gonna be great. And that did not happen. I got off and nobody talked to me. I didn't know where to go. My dad drove away and I was alone. And I was just like, oh fuck. And that was the first time ever in my life I had had that feeling. And it, it sucked. I got homesick immediately. Immediately. But I figured, you know, I'll make the best of it. Let's find the registration desk. So I found the registration desk. I checked in, got my little booklet and whatever else. And I decided I would go find my, my peeps. As luck would have it, none of the seventh graders showed up. I was the only one. At the elementary school that I went to, they did first, second, and third grade split classes. And when I was in first grade, there was a girl in the grade just above me who was in my class. Her name was Liz Blake. She was really nice to me when I was in first grade. I look across the grass and I see, oh, it's Liz with Meredith and Mooch Smith and the rest of the eighth graders in the ASB. So I think, oh, thank God, people I know. And I walk over there and just say hello. And I'm like, hey, guys, how's it going? And Elizabeth turns and says, whoa. You got really fat since the last time I saw you. How did you get so fat? And I said, just lucky, I guess. <laughs> and I don't remember, I kind of blacked out after that, but there was some more conversation about how I must have gotten so fat. And it was uh, shitty. It sucked. 
And but I just kind of breeze past that and we went and got food. It was cafeteria style lunch, you know how camps do. So you had your plastic tray with the little slots and the con- different compartments. And um I had for lunch there was uh I don't remember what the main course was at all, but I all I remember is at this point I was super uncomfortable. I didn't know how to connect with these older kids. They were all sitting there. We're all sitting in a little circle on the grass eating this meal and they're all talking and I just didn't know how to break into the conversation. So just like, oh, I'll just do something like my my classic move is, oh, I'll do something weird. (laughs) That'll work. That'll get them in. They'll at least be interested. I'll start a conversation. And so I, I just trying to be funny in a, it's not even funny at all. It's a goofy little kid thing to do. But I took my milk carton and I smashed my cake with it. Because I wasn't going to eat the cake because I had no appetite because my stomach was filled with sorrow <laughs> and I couldn't eat. And um, so I smashed the cake with my milk and it didn't go anywhere. It didn't make any mess or anything, but it was just kind of like an obnoxious little boy thing to do. And I guess it was somewhat successful because it did get the attention of Elizabeth. Liz, we called her, I think. Yeah, old Liz thought it was time to put me in my place. Enough of this cake-smashing shenanigans, she thought. I'm gonna tell this fat fuck what's what. And she said, What are you doing? Well, I'm having a hard time connecting with you guys, so I thought if I did something crazy, you would look at me and we could engage, and it would lead to a conversation. What do you mean you don't know? Why would you do that? Well, the truth is that at this time in my life, and at this point in my cognitive development, I genuinely don't know why I did that. What I'm feeling right now is that I'm in a new place, I'm scared, I'm socially awkward, and I don't really know what to say, and now I'm being yelled at by a mean, dirty bitch. That's such a waste! You know this can't pay for that! Pick it up, fatty! Pick it up! And at this point, I kind of just, you know, the memory just kind of fizzles out. But, suffice to say, it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing, and it didn't get better from there. This was all in the first 30 minutes of showing up to this fucking camp. It was literally the worst experience. This little incident on the grass was the most humiliating experience I had ever had. And I shit my pants at this exact same camp, not six months before this. So that goes to show you, it sucked. It was really humiliating. So that basically set the stage for the, for the whole camp. But beyond that little incident on the grass, I bumped into Mooch several times throughout the camp, and he was cool. He became like a safe person to, you know, go stand near. We really didn't still talk much, but I I basically couldn't talk. The whole time I wanted to leave so badly that I, every time I tried to speak, I would start crying. I was so fucking uncomfortable. I wanted to go home so bad. They used to do this thing where they do a mail call at breakfast. They'd take a big stack of letters that people's families sent them, which I don't know who the fuck's family sends them a letter when they're gone for five days. Not mine. Thank God. Because I would sit there and just pray that there was no letter in that stack for me. Because they would make them like open it and jokingly make them read some of it or I don't even remember. But I just knew if I had to go up there, I was going to humiliate myself. I was going to end up crying in front of 500 people because I was just on the verge of tears the whole time. I was so fucking homesick, so sad, hated it, hated every minute of it, would not recommend, two stars. Also, several years later, Liz was hit by a truck and a boat trailer. She's probably fine. 
Without further ado, please enjoy this podcast with the surprisingly kind and thoughtful Mooch Smith. And we're off and running. Ready to go? Ready to go. All right. Welcome to the show. So how you been, man? Busy. Busy, 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 busy at work and got two little kids running around, two little boys and just been busy. You're the athletic director at Nacelle, right? Yep, that is correct. How's that going? It's <laughs> busy just like anything. You're traveling for state? Um, we, uh, we just got back from uh, state basketball. Both the girls and the boys made it, and then um, football. We went to, we went deep into the playoffs, semifinals, and then um, so hopefully baseball and softball do the same thing. Yeah, you're in track, and track can't forget about track. Yeah, of course nobody ever does. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Do you guys have a decent track program? We do. We have a really good coach out there, um, veteran coach, and uh, he actually helps me. Because I, I'm not a track guy, so track is the, like the easiest thing. I know, yeah. but uh, he, uh, but there's a lot more to it than what we. Well, we never ran, or I never ran track in high school, but there's a lot more to it than I ever thought. And yeah. So, well, because it's like ten sports in one. Yeah, and, and you got uh, girls and boys, and with technology these days, you got to put it on this site called Athletic.net and they track the times. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, so he keeps me straight on what we need and what to order. Baseball, you can just tell me something and I know what. Probably just second nature. Yeah. And same with softball. And so uh, he's a really good guy and keeps me going, keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Melissa's coaching junior high or that's middle school now, middle school okay. track again this year. Um, so I, we're back in the swing of things with track. It's been a couple of years. We both used to coach before Amelia was born, yeah. but now she's the only one. I'm too busy. Yeah. I can tell you one thing. It's, um, you need, <laughs> seems like you need about 50 coaches to coach track because there's so many events and stuff like that. But he and another coach do a really good job of getting everything dialed in and ready to go. That's good. It's hard to find good help. Yeah, it is. And we're lucky right now. We've got our coaching staff for every sport pretty much is very, very good. That's cool. How'd you guys end up doing in basketball state? Basketball, the boys lost out first round um, with the new, uh, well, new to us setup. It was double elimination when we were in high school. Mm. And now it's, uh, you play a regional game. If you win your regional, if you're not top eight in the state, uh, you play this regional go game to play in. If you are top eight, you can still get in there ranking wise. So if you're top eight, you lose, you're still, you're still alive. If you're uh, nine through 16, then you got to win to go. And then that first round of, of state for the teams. So if you're top four after the, uh, the top 16 games and uh, you win, you automatically get a bye. So the rest of those schools that are not top four, they have to play. And if they lose that first day, they're out. Okay. And then if you win, you play those top four teams, the four top four teams, 
and then uh, your double double elimination to place or could be mm-hmm. placing. So it's um it's a lot different. The B tournament is rich tradition to go into Spokane, so that's a little farther than we had to travel to Yakima. Geez, they're both far. Uh, yeah, but eight hours or nine hours is a lot farther than. How far is Yakima? Uh, five. Five. Yeah. Geez, that felt so much longer back oh, then. Oh yeah, I did. five hours is nothing. No. Why did I think that was so far? I, I know. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, but uh, it's a much better venue, much better city to hold it in. A lot um, safer city. Oh to yeah. Hold it Yakima's kind of. You know, you the kids can walk and go. I remember Landon got tased when yeah. we were there in yeah. high school. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Um, speaking of back in the past, I hate to bring this up right yeah. away, um, everything, but I just feel like it needs to be said. Yeah. So, uh, travel back with me, if you will, yep. <clears throat> to 1998. 1998. Coho Charters faced off against Nesbitt's Auto Body and Paint at the <laughs> halftime of the Iwaka Varsity football game. And Coho Charters won after a lineman recovered a fumble, and ran it in for a touchdown. And correct me if I'm wrong. If you remember this differently, then please tell me. That was at a halftime. Oh, gosh, how do we remember this? That was a halftime at a high school game, right? That's, that's right, yes. Uh, correct? Okay. Yes. And I was 9 or 10. You were probably 10 or 11. It was not a lineman. It was Nick Leonard. It was a tight end. Was it Nick? Yeah. I thought it was you. No, uh-uh. I was a right guard. Well, I know that. I didn't recover the ball. I laid the, right. I laid the block on. Nick was a chub back then, too. Yeah, but he was our tight end. And uh, it was a fumble. Nick picked it up, and I laid a block on Anthony Cordero that sent him to the end zone. That <laughs> no. I remember I remember the moment. But wasn't it a tie? It you was, guys? I think it was a tie, yeah, and then you was, got, he ran it in. No, I think it was. We were down. We were down because Chris Brummett, who was a man-child. He was good. He was a man-child, yeah. Yeah. And and crazy, yeah. <laughs> you know, just hit anybody. Ocean Park's finest. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was no, we were down, I think, seven zero or six zero because we didn't kick field goals, and uh, that was like the last play of the game. It was, and Nick picked it up and ran it into the end zone. We only had five minutes to play. Or something yeah, like that. yeah, that's right. So it was Nick. That makes that makes sense. Anyway, I was just gonna say what kind of corruption. Could have led to that victory, but if you say it was a tie, I can handle that. It was a tie. That's a painful memory. A painful <laughs> memory. But yeah, you guys had that. He, he did have that X on his helmet, though, did he not? Uh, that he could. It was the X. I can, that's what I can't remember. Was well, I X. remember it was an X because we had stripes. Yeah, aesthetically, it, that looked really great. Was it an X you that you could run X. the ball? No, an X meant you couldn't because you were too heavy. Pow, pow. Okay. Because yeah, alignment. There was the weight limit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now. Uh, God, I can't remember his name. Monica Smith's dad or grandpa. Less. Yeah. Didn't, Les Smith. Didn't protest it. Yeah, that's true. Should have should have thrown a yeah. thrown a fit about it. Yeah. But you know. Sure. I got over it. It was it's a hard loss. Right. It's all right, man. No, actually, to be honest, I never cared about losing anything. That's really? something that held me back in sports. Never gave a shit about losing. Probably would have been better if I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you uh do you still coach now that you're um I took this this is the first year in nine years since I've been at Nacelle, gosh, I can't believe it's been nine years that uh, I haven't volunteered or coached. The last uh, four years, yeah, four, I uh, I coached three sports or help or JV coach. Three Were sports. you athletic director then too? No, oh, uh, that'd be so much, especially this year with COVID. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, it would have been. It would have been. I've been pulling my hair out. What does an athletic director actually do? So we um, we schedule all the games. 
So right now I'm scheduling football and volleyball for next year. And then basketball is going to be right down the pipe to schedule that. Um, we make sure everybody's in, um, you know, following the rules so we don't get banged with a sanction or something like that. Following the rules like? Uh, no. Grades. Oh, and, grades and stuff, and, yeah. And make sure everybody's eligible. And then uh, for me, I, I mean, I'm a, when it comes to, we hire a coach to do a job and it's his idea or dream on or philosophy on how he's going to win a state title. That is up to him. So for me, uh, I know a lot of athletic directors micromanage when it comes to the coaching part. Um, and everyone hates it. And everybody hates it. I, I take a step back um, when it comes to that. I, I go watch practices, stuff like that, make sure everything's organized and stuff like that. But when it comes to the X's and O's, boom, I leave it to the coach. And now I have good rapport with, because I coached under him for three years with like uh, our boys basketball coach, Bill Olson. And he'll ask me stuff, and but I, I try not to overstep. Whatever he asks me, I'll give him, but not not anymore. It's my job to make sure they're running a good program and it's making us competitive every year, year in and year out, to compete for district league state titles. And with that free reign that I give them, they better or I hope they perform because mm-hmm. that's when I step in when it when things are not going good. Yeah, um, that's the kind of approach I've taken. Um, At a smaller school, obviously there's going to be bad years because mm-hmm. you just don't. Get, oh yeah, get the athletes. How much of that falls on the coach and how much of that is is just, you know, par for the course? Well, usually you have, like at our size school, a WACO or a nacelle, you have that, okay, you have our class going through, our classes that are pretty successful. Loaded. Loaded and pretty successful. And and then you have that dip, um, I would say, after your senior year. After the one below me. The one below you. Eddie and yeah, that class. Yes, yes. Then it dipped. Mm-hmm. You're going to have those ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, I think now I'm going to come at you as a coach's standpoint. I think you can buck that system if you put in the time. Now, this is me talking as a coach. This is not everybody. If you make a vertical program. And what I mean by that, Kalama was always a absolute powerhouse in football. That's the exact wording I would have and, used. And same with baseball. I guarantee. Well, then no, let's not take them because they might change your offense. Let's take the center, another powerhouse. Another, at least when in, we were in, in school. football. Let's take the center during our time. The center ran a double wing T. Was I hated playing against it as a linebacker because it looked like five hundred linemen were coming out to block you. They would take that and they would go, and <laughs> you have to have cooperation. With your little league coaches, your high school coaches, your middle school coaches, everything has to be a well-oiled machine, and you got to be farting through silk when it comes to this stuff. And so the coach would break it down to the little league coaches, hey, this is what I want you to run a double wing T. You don't got to go as in-depth or verbiage-wise as I do, but you're going to run this. They run that in the little league. They get to middle school. They're, they're going to take the next step up to make it a little more well, – harder for them and then when they get to high school they are a machine and that's just how you play football and that's and i really am a big believer that in that vertical program learn that word from kevin mcnulty that you do that for every sports 
are all sports. You do that when I was short time, two years at um, Owaco coaching softball before I got hired for a full-time teaching job at Nacelle, um, we were starting that. We were getting that going. First year was just kind of the honeymoon stage. You try to implement your things or your philosophies to your team. And, um, but we were having, I mean, I remember one of the last days I was there, we had a coaches clinic for our little league coaches and uh, had the girls come in and show them what we do, drills we do. I you call the little league coaches the girls? Um, little league coaches for um, softball. Um, oh, the actual girls. So, yeah, the, or the girls that were on my team came and helped out. Gotcha. And, and put on this coaching clinic just to show them the drills we do and stuff like that. And then I put a packet together that's probably, oh, we're on the radio, so I got an inch, inch and a half thick, breaking down every grade level or every – to, if they if they're playing third and fourth softball, then fifth and sixth, whatever. whatever. You created a document to share with the other coaches. Yes. Wow, Moots, you sound like you're actually really good at your job. I I try. <laughs> you know, um, you know, tell you the honest truth, I got into teaching so I could coach. Mm -hmm. And and you've always been a coach. Yeah. Even when you were an athlete, yeah. you're you're very coach like. Yeah. And um, well, some people say I was a jerk, but <laughs> I would say that too. Sometimes, yeah. But um, but it was uh. It was just, I think that's how you build a program. That the coach is automatically recruiting the younger kids to get them interested. Yeah, you know, when I, get them while they're young, just like the back. I mean, Matt 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 Blair was the high school coach of me in for basketball. When he would show up to middle school practices and stuff like that, I it would I, I would be like, oh man, he's here. That's so cool, and he'd talk to us. And I just think kids react to that. And I felt like that about Ned. Yeah. Even Ned like too. as a freshman. Yeah. And, and I had the luxury of having Ned as a uh, middle school basketball coach. Mm. So for boys, that's probably why you were quarterback. Cause he's like, he's had, he'd had his eye on you as an athlete from no, then. I was quarterback because our quarterback starting junior year didn't play. Well, I know, but he, so he was in a position as a coach where like, I got to yeah. find a quarterback. You, he knew you were athletic and he knew you could yeah. throw the ball and everything. He probably had no idea you could scramble like that. And the thing about it is, I I got told that I'm competing for that job. I'll never forget this. And I was driving home in my too loud of truck that I had in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, you know how you're you you come into a walko down the hill and you take a left like you're going to my house mm -hmm. right there. There he was. I met him. We crossed paths, and he throws me a football. He goes after we found out the person that didn't play the our my senior year your junior year the same guy who ran in that fumble yeah the same guy that ran in that fumble uh and no doubt about it he was focused on baseball that's his choice i don't it, think anyone really held it against no him. not at all he was so committed to everything yeah. he did yeah was like 100 yeah. right and uh there's no hard feelings i have for that i didn't either um and he throws me a football and says well welcome to the show here the quarterback and going from fullback oh which i loved mm -hmm. i absolutely loved i loved running the ball up the middle, and I loved hitting the defensive end, and I loved hitting. Mm -hmm. And um, Yeah, I remember that 32 dive. Oh, we, yeah. we ran that a lot. Yeah, and and I and I, and I remember at, when we went into Camp Rialia, and I was, I was, a, I was a disaster. Were I, you nervous? Oh. You didn't seem nervous. I didn't. You're very confident. I wouldn't even call. I might be confident on the outside, but I was always second-guessing myself on the inside. 
100%. We must all be doing that. You know, I, no matter how good I look on the outside, the confidence and all that BS, um, no, I was nervous as hell. And I didn't think I could get it done. It's now, a lot of pressure on the quarterback. It, it's not, it wasn't so much the pressure. I just didn't want to. Well, it is pressure. You're yeah. right. I didn't want to let people down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and hell, now that I look back on it now, I didn't know what the hell was a cover two or a cover three or. I still don't. You, you know, and and I was just winging it. Man. Well, that's where I, the scrambling came in yeah. really handy. Oh, yeah. We yeah. figured out, oh, shit, he's got a skill at this. Yeah. I, and it became like part of our offense. And no, if, if The option, running the option. If Jared Shock wasn't open, mm-hmm. I would still, okay, this is going to go to him. I know what route he's going to throw it up because he's 6'6". Yeah. You know, and, and any kind of success I had in passing, that was because of Jared. Because mm-hmm. he's so damn tall. He was a pretty good receiver. Yeah, and he was athletic and he was tall. Nice guy, too. And, oh, great Huge guy. dick. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> I can't talk about that. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, oh, sorry, Jared. Um, but no, I would, uh, yeah, he saved me a lot of times. and uh, But I could run. I could scramble. You know, when you had, well, hell, when you had me running four six nine forty, you had Eddie and, and Alex right there, too. That was a pretty good three-headed monster. We had a fun team too. They oh were, yeah, like the guys in that group. Oh, Jeff, your Bill. class, my class, and the one below us. And oh, there's a lot of good yeah, guys I mean, in there. I had the best technically snapping center I could have in this world. I which, did what I could, which is Jeff Nesbitt. I had Jeff Hilton as my right guard, sometimes as my right tackle. I had, Holding guard all yeah, the time. Yeah, Bobby Chrislip on the right side. I had, you know, the left side was not as strong as the right side with. But Theo worked. Oh, Theo. His, Theo worked his ass off, and then we had Brad Reeder, which is the size of a house. Yeah, you know, and then we had Joe Gels at tight end. Yeah, that was a solid team. And then, and then, you know, who really? Yeah, then who really turned it on was um, um, Colton Shocker. Oh yeah, Colton Shocker was a hell of a tight end. He was. And then, of course, Jared and uh, Jordan Desmoni and stuff like that. Uh, Jared Jordan was just well, not Jordan's fault. He was a utility player. He was a, he you, was you he was out there. He yeah, was out he was there. doing his best. You know, but he yeah. was young. Yeah. I think he was a sophomore. Yeah, you think so? I think he was a because yeah, he was Jake's class. Wasn't Eddie a freshman? Or they were sophomore. the same class. Same. So they were sophomores when I was a junior. Yeah, that year, my junior year, so it would have been two thousand five. Mm-hmm. That was our best year of football ever, in my opinion. And, and tell you honest truth, I would say I was more athletic at the time, but your brother threw a better ball than I did. Oh, he had a hell of an arm. Yeah, he threw a better ball. I think he would have probably been the quarterback if you weren't there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, but he was just so young. He was so young, and he was, I mean, he got From into- Wild. He got into that state uh, championship or state playoff game, and it was fumble, fumble, fumble. And, and that's just nerves. Yeah. I mean, you get thrown in when we're getting rocked. His senior year, quarter, after yeah. we were all gone, he he grew a ton. And yeah. he, he ended up playing running back and fullback yeah. and quarterback and all, all kinds of stuff. He had so much fun. Like, I, I wish I would have been out there on that yeah. year. And no, he could, that ball he threw was beautiful. Yeah, I know. I, I always was jealous. I could never throw a football like that. Uh, I could throw it when I was running. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think, running, gunning. I think it was just, uh, oh crap, I'm going to get tackled. <laughs> I yeah. got to throw this thing. But we, um, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, we did. Uh, I, I think that, that year was fun. I don't think, I, I think we played like shit the last four or five games of the season, or the last quarter of every game. Yeah, 
for some yeah. reason. We should have never lost to Ani. We, we shouldn't should, have lost a lot of teams. We should have lost to White Pass. Yeah. Um, Kalama was heads and shoulders better than us. There were a lot of teams that know? were. And uh, and so was Friday Harbor. Oh, God. Friday. I just went up to that field that we played on, Tumwater. Yeah. Was it? Did we play at Tumwater? I thought we played at Edmonds. Did. did we play at Edmonds? I think we played at Emmett. Because they were, they gave us, because we were really supposed to go up to Friday Harbor and play. I remember yeah. telling me this. And then we had a, like a. It was at, it was either Bothell or Edmonds. I that I sworn it was Tumwater. No, Tumwater goes like this. That field went like this. Okay. Um, you would know. I don't remember that kind of stuff very well I, at all. I, I was surprised that I actually remembered it when we were there, and it turns out I was wrong. Yeah. But it got me thinking about that game, and I was just like, God, the toes on the turf. Yeah. That whole season was uh, just What was like, his name? What was his name that said that? Um, that was Ned's thing, I thought. No, it was the red-haired guy. Oh, Plummer. Plummer. Plummer came yeah, up with toes Plummer. on the turf. Dude, he was 23 years old. He was? Yeah. 23. Jesus, I thought he, he was, was Barely older old. than us. Yeah, it's crazy. It's because he was covered in hair from head to toe. But strong motherfucker, too. Yeah. I remember watching him bench with oh, yeah. putting more than two plates on there. And I was I always remember. Shocked. I always remember, though, you could tell he was a lineman in high school because he alligatored every catch when we threw oh, yeah. ball. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, he was a wrestler. Oh, yeah. Threw him, yeah. Yeah, completely. So I think he's a principal. He's a principal or athletic director somewhere. He was a good dude. Yeah, he was. He right. he made me feel like um, an adult actually thought yeah. I was I was uh, worth something. You know you know what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm yeah. sure you you give yeah. that feeling to kids where yeah. you talk to a kid like they're a real person. Yeah. Instead of just an annoyance or or somebody who you have to talk to for work. Well, that's what I learned about working at six years at a youth camp. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask about that. Uh, so yeah, you so have to. The youth camp. I just heard the youth camp is getting shut down. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, it's a pretty good shot. Oh, that sucks. I would say it's, boy, yeah, it's getting shut down probably. So it, people who are not hope, from this area, if, if, the youth if, camp is a, a youth can, detention center. Yes, it's a youth detention center. Um, out in the woods. It's out in the woods, but it's uh, when I was there and currently it's a, it's a minimum medium security. It's like a, a glorified summer camp. Uh, no, it's not. It's mm -hmm. these kids. Um, see- Especially in my world, my arena, my job, most people think it's just how dare you lock up a kid. I don't uh, think that. What is it then? It's it's a it's kids that every system or every program that they've tried to help these kids with uh, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the reason it doesn't work is because they're a product of their environment. And most of these kids that are going to the youth camp have single parent homes or no parent homes. And you can't get them to go to treatment. And the kids that show up to the youth camp have, on average, six to eight convictions already. And, and it's, not, it's not I'm being truant to school or I'm tardy every day. It is drug sale. It is um, shooting. It's gang life. It's... Um, uh, dangerous stuff. Dangerous stuff. And and the thing about it is if you show up to Nacelle or Green Hill, which is in Chehalis, you drive by it on the freeway, or Echo Glen, which is 15 and under and girls only. Where's that one? Uh, it's Snoqualmie. Is there one in Warrington? Uh, it, there I used to be. There used to be. I don't know exactly what that was. I think it's about the same, but mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know much. I had a cousin in there. Yeah. 
And so if you if you end up in nacelle and you only have one conviction, it's because you murdered somebody or um, you're an SO and it's a rape of a child. It's, yeah. it's something so heinous. But so they're kids who really need. Yeah. And, it, and the thing about it, they don't have structure. They yeah. don't have discipline. They don't have a work ethic. They've never learned it. And um, those weren't the tools that they needed in the environment they were coming up yeah. in. That well, sucks. And the thing about it is this, I mean, so if, if, if that, each one of those kids, because they're usually low functioning, they usually have a um, IEP or mental disorder of some sort that we're trying to help. Um, those kids are funding wise for the state get a lot more money than just your average kid that goes to school. Because they need more services? They need more services. And those kids get that there. They wouldn't get there that, and I say product of an environment. So I'm also the union vice president out there. And I don't know for teachers, and I don't know how I got that job. I got, it. it is what it is, but I'm that. So I had to go to our big teacher's assembly. And uh, one was juvenile justice. And I can't believe to that arena of, when you get to that level, private is a four-letter word. It's public only, publicly funded. No, no private should be in there. I can do that. But the thing about it is with like these kids, it doesn't matter if you're private, public. I don't care what it is. If they can get offered a service, that's what they need. Yeah. And um, they just don't see that. And they and and they want they they don't even know what we do it at nacelle or green hills a little different green hills man they're because juvenile life now is 25 years old so is that a maximum security place that's a maximum that is your worst of your worst criminals juvenile wise and uh they're men they're there it's a whole different animal than what we get at nacelle and or did get at nacelle and uh if they close that place down it's, it's just going to be uh, for so those those kids will go to places like you're talking about Green Hill, yeah. Oh, okay. And so and they won't get the same services. They'll get the same services, but like I said, they're product of their environment. So if we if we get the gang kind out of them, if we get because I started a basketball program in there, out there, and I had Nortes and Serenios and G's and and Crips and Bloods all playing on the same basketball team. They they never get over it. It's always in the back of their mind. Their their but loyalty to their colors. Yeah, but they start to realize, hey, I can work with that guy. He's just a normal person. Yeah, and most of those kids, most of those kids, depending on what hood they grow up in, is um, they ne- like. So I was teaching a lesson one day, and I go, okay, Portland, Portland, you never, you never, uh, you guys know what Portland is, and I got a group of kids from Seattle there, and they go, Smith, we've never been out of a We'd never been out of Seattle. Jeez. And we'd never been out of two blocks from our home because they've got all the services and 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 uh, stores and everything that we do. We had to go to Astoria just to go see a movie. Yeah. They don't. They got a theater on every corner. So they just never leave they their never hood. They never leave. They never leave their hood. And, you know, if you really want to fix, I mean, we put all this money into throwing out there thinking that they will fix it themselves and stuff like that. That that's not that's not how it works because it just circulates in to what they're doing already. If we want to help these kids and our and teachers and everything, our union, our our state, then you 
invest in after school programs. Most of these kids, and we never see it here, most of these kids get into the gang when they're in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Why? That's so young. Why? Because they're impoverished. And we can have a discussion on why they are or not, but it doesn't matter. They're impoverished. Yeah. And so they see- Their life sucks. They see their brother or they see a person in high school with Jordans on and stuff like that. And they go, how'd you get that? It's not from a job. It's because they stole it. They've robbed somebody or something like that. So then the older gang members, the OGs, I guess you'd call them, start preying on them. They start preying on them and say, hey, you want this? You got to put in work. Got to put in work. You got to go beat that guy up. You got to go rob that store. And then we'll put you on. Uh, and so, and you'd think to yourself, well, even if the kid, uh, if a guy was telling me that at school or somewhere right after school, we'd still come home to our moms or, and dads. In this world. In this world. And they'd say, you're an idiot. You're not going to go see that guy. You're never going to see him again, blah, 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 blah. No. If the best case scenario and what I saw out there, the mom's at work. The mom is at work till six, seven, eight o'clock at night trying to provide for her family. That is the best. And that is a very few. So what's the worst? Worst? No parents, right? No parents. But no but, supervision. But after that three o'clock bell rings or three thirty bell rings, they're all by themselves. Mm-hmm. What do they do? They start going with that crowd. And they start brainwashing them at a young age. You need community. You need community. They don't have that. Yeah, and, so they seek it in the wrong place. And and they seek that they have nice stuff and the the flash and and everything. And um, it's just it's just they have no shot. And you know when the when these kids get the, and the big push now is to rehabilitate them locally or close to home. Well, I think that's stupid because their home is where they got in trouble. The home was the problem. The home, they have no home. A lot of them are homeless. They have no home. And like, so like you asked about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is I have this kid that comes into the youth camp that's, you know, pretty well put together. I mean, he's not, he's not a smart ass. He's not a bad, what I consider a bad kid there. He's no, he's respectful. I go, what are you in here for? And he goes, selling drugs. And I go, now, why, why the heck would you do that? And he goes, because I was trying to get my brother back from CPS, and I'm almost 18. If I raised enough money where I could afford an apartment, I could raise my brother, my younger brother. And Oh, shit, man. And I go, where's your mom? Where's your dad? Oh, my dad's in prison, and my mom's so cracked out of her mind that it's impossible. And he goes, Smith, I'll tell you a story. I was selling drugs on the street corner. And my mom came up to me and tried to buy drugs from me. She didn't even know I was her son. She was so cracked out. Fuck. Yeah. That's what you, that's basically what you get. That's trauma. Yeah. You, my idea, and I'm, I'm just a fat white guy that works at Nacelle, so I don't know anything. Dude, fat white guys have a lot of power. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, my idea is, you know, when they go to these institutions, why send them right? Because how they do it is when they get out. Like if they're not going to a group home or if they're not going to somewhere else, like, cause they're stepping stones. We legit just pack them in a van. We take them home. They get a drop off spot and we drop them off and say, good luck. No aftercare, no services. Well, they have the opportunity to do that, but 90% of them don't. Well, cause it's more authority yeah, and all yeah. that. Yeah. 
if you really want to make changes in their life, the state needs to invest in, and I'm not a big tax guy, but hell, I would I would say take take a bigger portion to do this. Take these kids and move them out of where they're from. You know, maybe give them an apartment. If so, if they're from downtown Seattle, move them to some small town in and east of the mountains where they can't mm-hmm. just make it back to Seattle and do what they do. You meet right back. You know, up and maybe giving them an apartment or something like that for a month, month free until you find a job. Once you find a job, then you got to pay for the apartment and it's going to be low income or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, and if you screw up there, if you fail a drug test or if you don't go to work or you commit a crime, then we're done with you. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you could have a lot more success because when they go to nacelle, well, they used to, and then they killed the program. The state did it right when they're trying to kill Nacelle this time, because Nacelle's always been on the chopping block. Yeah. But they did it right this time. And it's sad to say. They cut DNR, which um, which the kids would go out and plant trees, cut prune trees, all that stuff. Then they would go to school at night. And they cut that program. So that, that eliminated a program that we have that no one else has. Oh. Then they slowly, and they use COVID as an excuse, they use other things, they cut our numbers. So kids that would usually go to Nacelle are now going to Green Hill in a maximum security prison, which is a whole different animal. So they're just little by little justifying yeah. and, it. And, and before, what they did was, we're just going to cut it. Well, you had arguments. Yeah. You had, no, no one else offers DNR. No one else offers these services. And, and the big thing that, Man, it was pretty smart when you think about it, if you wanted to get rid of it. Why do they? Just for the money, I guess. It's not even for the money because the state's got money. But they reallocate it somewhere else. Yeah, just... that's exactly right. And and Nacelle has always been kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the juvenile programs. Of all programs. It's not yeah. even just Nacelle. It's Pacific County because we're yeah. just we're way down here. People forget yeah. about us. And it's not a voting base. Mm-hmm. And, not... and the voting base that's here is locally red. Yeah. And that's not very, uh, very... Well, we're red in recent past. That's what I mean. Recent past. But but here's the thing. I don't care if you're... We just don't... You could lose every one of our votes down here from Wakayakum County, Pacific County, really Grace Harbor County now because it's shrunk. No mills, no logging, no nothing. And it wouldn't even... Well, hell, you could lose every every vote from almost Most every county. Most of the county. coastal and southern oh, counties. Well, I, Every county east of the mountains, and you got to win about four, and you win you the got governor's King county. If you, you got get King, King County, Snow, Thurston, Pierced, all Thurston, those like you yeah. win. Yeah, you know. So there's no. Um, it's just it's just a mess. And then the third thing they did is they hired staff. They hired an because I asked a guy that worked there. I go, is Nacelle on? I mean, gosh, it doesn't sound good. And he goes, No, I think we're fine. They're hiring staff left and right. Well, they did that on purpose. They did it on purpose because. The lack of numbers, they were overstaffed. They thought this makes no sense. Wow, they fucked it on purpose. That sucks. And then there's the big thing. So when we were on the chopping block, when they, the youth camp was on the chopping, I say we, I don't even work there anymore. But It still feels like we. Yeah. I've never even been there. Yeah. I don't know nothing. It still feels like we. Nacelle's on the chopping block. And then the budget, I, I don't know how exactly how it works, but we're on the budget. Uh, we weren't on the budget that the governor's got to sign. And so we, they fought, they fought, and then we got back on. So everybody, we're, we're good. We're good. We're back on the, and then all of a sudden behind closed doors. That's how it usually happens. It. And, and the thing about it, we got about a week and a half to fix it. 
which is we're in the bottom of the ninth. They yeah. got it. They got to hit a grand slam if, Jeez. and that's the only way. That sucks. Yeah. Is that going to hurt the? So, oh, it's going to kill the community. That's what I'm. It's not going to kill. It seems the, like it's it, not going to kill the community. But it's uh, a large portion of the income for most. Yeah, like it's the biggest employer. Yeah, by far. You either work for the school district, you work for the youth camp, or you get a logging a logging industry or fishing industry job. But there's less and less of those. Or you leave the town and go yeah, work you're... in South Bend or Waco. Or no, you don't even do that. You go some somewhere do. else. Yeah, yeah some, not a lot. But, there's not a lot of opportunity. But it's not it's not a hundred hundred and fifty employees worth it. There. Uh, Outside of those little things we just mentioned, though, there yeah. are no jobs. There's no opportunities to make money unless you're doing it through the internet. Yeah, but I think there is jobs. What could people do? Uh, well, that's the problem. There is jobs in the sense that are not careers. Oh yeah, in my mind. Yeah. There. Well, there is careers. I I take that back. There is jobs in the restaurant industry and the fast food service. Yes, there's jobs there that no one wants to fill. But there's manual labor jobs. Mm -hmm. You know that. But people what I've seen, don't want to work. They need to pay more. Yeah. Well, I think that another big problem is that I, I watched Mark Cuban talk about this on a, it was a podcast or a TikTok video. I don't know what it was, but. I uh, like Mark Cuban. I do too. And people are not going, or our generation is not going mostly as they get a job, they're going to make it a career. They're free agents. That's how he put it. He yeah. quoted that. They're free agents. They care more about their happiness than they do making it a career. It's true. And I have a hard time with that because that's not how I was raised. And and your dad. It's not how a society functions well. No. And so where it is a black eye if you get let go or, or just, I mean... <laughs> If you're, I don't know if that's politically correct anymore, a gypsy of the job world. Nomad. Uh, yeah. And um, so people are, I wouldn't even say it's our age group. It's especially the- A little the, below you know, us. A little below yeah. us. Because, I mean, you were raised kind of the same way I was, hard work. Lots of it. Hard work. Um, but taught that it pays off. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's why you do it. And then you learn along the way that you actually enjoy it. And yeah. that's what we're here to do is yeah. to work and to build things. Yeah. Like Mike Rowe said, Mike Rowe, and I like him when he speaks, and uh, he goes, you might be passionate about being a singer, but if you're not good, you're not going to make any money or you're not going to be successful at it. Yeah. Find something you're good at and take that passion and bring it to that job. Monetize that shit. Yeah. yeah. And that's where, uh, I mean, he used an example of a guy that did portal potties. Mm -hmm. So he started out with a truck. And he was sucking turds out of a portal potty. And then eventually he got good enough and he got big enough where, heck, he could buy portal potties. And now he makes over a million dollars a year. Find a niche that no one else wants to do. There's jobs everywhere. It's not a want, it's a need. I think people have trouble with that just because they're not always easy to see. And yeah. it takes a really, uh, in, just an intuitive mind to yeah. recognize that stuff. And it's not, it's not fancy. It's not, it's not, you know, if... If I did something, I mean, it's just okay. Everybody needs toilets. Everybody need, or everybody needs running water. Everybody needs electricity. I mean, last time I checked, there's five million jobs that are like that that we need to fill in this country. Yeah, and they're good. I mean, they make way more, way more than I do as a teacher. Oh, plumbers are very highly paid. Yeah, and and I mean, if you go to, I was helping a kid that wanted to be an electrician, so he stopped by my classroom and we kind of looked over stuff. Um, 
because I don't know what they make. I don't know what, but I can look it up for them, it, I guess. Yeah, it's, they you make know, I can help them. money. And electricians, I think you're starting at $30 an hour as a rookie Yeah, coming out of school. Isn't that yeah. crazy? When we yeah. were in high school, it was before, it seems like before anyone really realized that not everybody needs to go to, to regular college. liberal arts college. Yeah. It seems like that's kind of become norm now, well, everyone, but- that, that's all they told us. Like, you need to go to college. They didn't really help us get there, but yeah. but they... Uh, well, no, that's the thing. And and the whole saying, you know, work smarter, not harder. I hate that saying. Yeah, I hate, I hate that, that saying, saying too. Because... It's no, true in a sense, but it, it can be misleading. But because, because it, it pushes... That was the main push to get them to college. Yeah. College ain't for everybody. No. And especially when, when colleges promote... No offense. I, I don't mean... We need artists in this world, and we need sure, and we need musicians, and we need everything. You're doing a job, like I tell my class, like when we talk about like communism and stuff like that, and and I say, hey, I now me twenty years ago, you'd rather or McDonald's makes the same as, and I would kind of downgrade it, and I've learned, I go, no, that's not right, because if you're working, if you're trying to provide for yourself, I don't care what you do, it's honorable, very. And, but the thing about it is, I think a person that works at McDonald's, no disrespect to that person, should not make the same as a brain surgeon. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This isn't communist Russia. No. And then, then, so, I don't know. I just think we need to promote all all sources of education. I think so too. And, and people are so different. We need to have ability to make, we need to make it possible for people to make a living yeah. in what they're good at. Yeah. So the McDonald's person, maybe they don't need to be paid the same as a brain surgeon, but they should definitely be paid enough to pay a yeah. re- like their rent. And but but invest in themselves. Yeah. They, they are investing in themselves by getting paid by the employer. And now here's the thing, here's the thing that separates a lot of people from the minority of people. They don't look at it like that. They don't. They're happy with the status quo. They need to become, in my mind. Okay, personally for me, and now I can only speak for me. If I worked at McDonald's and there's no problem with that, I would want to get up to that managerial ship or fire their up to make more and more money. And you wouldn't even be able to not think like that because of yeah. how you're wired. Yeah. So, and and, and not pe- people are not. Some people are, some people aren't. And, and like what I tell, like I just had a conversation with my sixth grade class because we do current events every day. And, and those kids, man, they're a lot smarter than you think. And I, so I teach sixth graders and sophomores history. And both of them, and I was shocked in a different way. Of course, you got sixth graders like, "What? What's that?" And and so they're more like they have no idea. Where yeah, sophomores kind of have an idea. They're like half adult. Yeah, and and so we just talk about like if you're not competitive, if you're not, and you don't have to be competitive in sports or anything like that. But if you're not naturally competitive, you'll never reach where you want to be. Yeah, or at least strategic. Yeah. Competitive, yeah. competitive. I, I don't think I'm that competitive, but I'm extremely strategic. So like, uh, take it football, for example. Yeah. I, and I've learned this since since growing up and like learning more about myself, but um, I didn't, like I said earlier, I didn't care about losing. I didn't care yeah. about that stuff, but I cared so much about just making sure I had my spot. Yeah. I had to have a spot and the, the higher up on the hierarchy it was, the better. But isn't that competitive? Exactly. But, but it, on, on a level of like day-to-day competitiveness, once I had that spot, I was just worried about maintaining it and making sure that I, I was 
you know, meeting my responsibilities. But it's, it's like to me, like and how I look at uh, how my mind works. Yeah. I look at that as competition or I look yeah. at that as competitive. Well, it is in a way, but I never would have, if, if Ned would have thrown me a football, mm-hmm. I would have been like, take that shit back. I don't yeah. want it. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have yeah. wanted that competition because at that point, it, the the juice ain't worth the squeeze to me. All that pressure and all that responsibility, if you fuck up, how bad mm-hmm. you'll look, not nearly as important to me as like just having a spot, being part of the team and, and being able to take a little bit of the credit when we win, even though I didn't have to do much but snap and block. But even with, like you say, and I think, well, I I saw you play. I mean, that was a long time ago. It was. It Jesus, was. we're getting old. I know, it's crazy. God, I hurt more and I can't do anything. Everything hurts. But, uh, and... I gained the weight you lost, so that doesn't oh, help. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but even with that little, I mean, little bit of competitiveness you had, that you say you have, but I think you had more, just from my perspective. That is what people need. Yeah. And that, and I don't know, there's a you lot. You got to harness it. Yeah. And take, grab on and let it and pull you, gotta, you to the next you gotta, level. You got to find, you got to find something that makes you that way. Yeah. You know, and like I, I, like I told him, I go, even a job interview, you don't I think about I love job interviews. But you're competing against somebody else for that job. Yeah. That actually, I, I'll take that back. I am competitive in that way. Yeah. That is something, because it's a realm that I understand. That's actually proving your point exactly. These kids need to be ushered into their skill set so yes. that they can be competitive. Yeah. You don't want to make a fish do a tree climbing competition. And I mean, I don't, and, it, and like, I think it crosses all streams ghostbusters reference all right it crosses all streams where okay you might not be competitive in sports so you said you weren't competitive i think you were i i've, I've seen you get pissed off when we were losing and stuff like that or something that's true that's punched true in the balls or something like that's that. that's true all right i think i actually punched him in the balls okay happened, well he probably deserved it was an accident he deserved it all right so but i mean if you want to be a if you want to be a uh owner of a construction business you're going to beat out those other construction business because it's going to get you more money. Beat them in price, beat them in and um, quality of work, stuff like you want. You might not. It might not look. I gotta. You might not ever hear him say the owner of that company. I'm gonna crush him. But in the back of his mind, yeah, it's not always yeah. in your face. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. But you right. do need it to get through life. You really do. You're right. You're completely right. And like going back to the youth camp, these kids are not taught that. They're yeah. taught. Um, and I'm not saying they should not get help at all. I, I'm a big, no. I'm a big believer that, you know, you're coming across as if you very much care about the kids. I, I, yeah, I do. But when you've now, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be reformed. Some of those programs mm-hmm. when I learned more how to cheat the system working at the youth camp than <laughs> I ever thought I didn't even know. Yeah. And, and when they're getting food stamp cards or not EBT cards nowadays, yes, we know what you're talking about. So when they're getting that, and they got $800 worth of food on there that doesn't even have their name on it. And then their parents who get the cards are supposed to be feeding their damn kids. They go out and sell it because their name's not even on the card for $400 to help them with their habit. Yeah. That ain't right. No. That, and that and that's in the sense, like, to me, because I'm a history teacher, when Roosevelt came out with those plans, people weren't supposed to take them. Or, or, or no, sorry. People were supposed to take them for help, but people didn't take them because they were so proud. Yeah. They were, no, you're not giving me a handout. I'm going to work and I can't get work, but I'm going to do something. And so that's why he created the work programs like the CCC and all those programs. The New Deal. New, new, new deal, deal. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. New Deal. And uh, so 
they, those people that were so proud could say to themselves, I'm doing this job. I deserve this money. And, that, and it's true. And, and that's exactly right. People need self-worth. Yeah. And, you know, and when you don't, and when Roosevelt made it 65 years old, that you can collect on, or not unemployment, but retire. Social security. Social security. They weren't, and he created that Social Security Act. Nobody made it to 65 back then. Yeah, now everybody does. And now everybody does. And and so no one was supposed to make it because the average age was probably about 60 or whatever back then. Yeah. But it gave them, and, and, it, and it, it was an embarrassment for it. If they had to go to the store and rip their, and that's from the 60s till early 90s, probably mid 90s. And and I, sh <laughs> the card was a huge change to yeah. the system because it, it, it took away the shame, yeah. which I, I see your point. The shame that came with food stamps was pretty horrifying, and, but it did keep people from abusing the system. And 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 here's and and I say that not not to be mean because I you're think, not being mean. I, I think that system should be there. The world can be harsh sometimes yeah, for and, the greater good. And and I think that system should be there, but I think it should be there. Okay, Jeff, you're a husband, you're a father. Same with me. If we lost, our, if my wife and I lost our job. It would be very hard for me to take any handout. Yeah, I would be the 1938 or, you know, person like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I don't care if yeah. I have to die. And You're making big moves. I, I'm going to work five jobs if I can. I understand that. But if my wife and, and I lost our jobs and I had to feed my children, I would, and I couldn't do it myself, mm -hmm. then I would probably take a hand. That's what you have to. That's what that is there for. It's yeah. not to be abused. So when I say I'm not, it's not an alternative to work. No, it's it's if yes, you cannot exactly make it happen. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But it's become an alternative to work yes. because of COVID. Yeah, and they just made it way well, too and easy. It's, and it's before COVID even. There's yeah. so much concentration of wealth. Yeah. The Fed needed to get money to people, and yeah. this is how they did it. It's 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 a really in a roundabout way redistribution of wealth. So politically wise, I'm in the middle, hundred percent. I, Me too. I am. Um, I just started a new political party. You can join if you want. It's called Gun Toting Liberals. Yeah, that's and you know I do not care who you marry, what you do, what a woman does with her body. It's I, her choice. It's her choice. I I do not care about that. But taxes, uh, military, guns, <laughs> gun toting liberal. Yeah, that's and and that's the problem we face today because everything's so polarized. We've got. It's not a Reagan versus a Kennedy anymore. Yeah. Where we could go. It's so much worse. You know, Reagan and, oh, well, they didn't run against each other. But if you look at Reagan and Kennedy, you go. Um, Dude, even Bush Gore. Yeah. It was still yeah. that way in yeah. the early 2000s. You, you look at it and you go, well, what, what person do you basically like better? Because they're not going to screw anything up. And their policies are really not that much different. No. But now, now, the echo chambers were developed, and it's just like people live in different realities. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. It makes conversations about politics and, very and, hard. And media, media, this is why, I mean, what you're doing is awesome. I think you're doing, I love Joe Rogan. Me too, because he brings in stuff from every angle. Yeah, that's exactly right. And people think he's right wing for some yeah. reason. And he's he, not. And he said he'd vote for Bernie Sanders, yeah. which is- He had uh, him on the show. Yeah. And then that's the news that I, I want Walter, Walter Cronkite. Again, I want unbiased, just unbiased, give just, me the news. Just read the story. Yeah. And then go on. Yeah. You know, I don't 
And and people get brainwashed on both sides. They yeah. they watch MSNBC and it plays for hours. They watch Fox News and it plays the same thing for hours. And do you watch cable news? Really not? No, not anymore. It is so fucking weird. Yeah. The way the amount of of editorial opinion that goes yeah. into the news stories feels just disgusting yeah. to me. I can't even watch that. And shit. I used I used and this is in our lifetime. Yeah. This is I mean I've been a teacher for nine years. This is in the last nine years. Like I used to tell my, well, I still do. If you're going to watch news, go to, if you're going to watch Fox News, now, after you've heard that story five times, go watch MSNBC. Or BBC. Or B, or, something from outside. Yeah. Well, just go watch. And go then, watch Al Jazeera. And then the thing about it, watch, like, okay, this is devastating for Fox News and this is great for MSNBC. You got to yeah. find a happy medium and that's how you vote. Yeah, and and that's what where real life is. Yeah, and, it's definitely not what they're talking no. about. And the thing about it is, like, for teachers, for, as a teacher that teaches history, that you know, no one cares about. I understand that it's oh, math and science, dude. A lot of people care about it, and uh, I care about history a lot. Yeah, but we're doomed to repeat it if we don't. Ask the state. We don't. We don't have a yeah, test or care. anything, <laughs> so they don't care. <laughs> math and science. Well, they don't want, dude. What would happen if if everybody actually learned history? Oh, people would think. Yeah, people would challenge the government decisions. People would actually use their minds, yeah. but it'd be way harder to control everybody. Yeah, and 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 the thing about it is, like what I tell, they always ask me, "What? How did I vote?" It's not. I'm not going to tell you, and it's not because I can't tell them. I can tell them. Uh, hell, I have, <laughs> I have more political debates with my wife than anybody else, just because I can trust her. Not because she loves you. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, and. Like kids ask all the time, what's your political beliefs? Well, it's not my job to tell you who to vote for. Yeah. That's what I saw in college. Not so much in high school. Tr Trudell and Bloom. I was were, just going to bring up Trudell. Trudell and Bloom were very, I, I didn't know where the hell Trudell Nobody was. did because he was doing his job. Yeah. He was, dude, that guy is the shit. Yeah. He taught the information yeah. in context with, from both sides somehow. And he never let his personal political opinions come through, yeah. even though I would directly ask him. Yeah. Because he's like he was teaching CWP contemporary yeah. world problems, so that's that's hard to keep your opinions out of. Well, and Trudell, I just and I that's how I Trudell's teaching style is how I learn. If you're monotoned, like Trudell was, but he had he threw, he but could, he would put jokes in. Yeah, he would put jokes. Yeah, in. and if you're monotone and just go up there and teach the subject, like I'm a very stand liver style learner. Mm -hmm. If you try to make me do projects and funness and too much engagement. And I'm just like, this is stupid. I'm not, I'm, I'm that way too. Yeah. I, I don't even like to look at the speaker. I just want to, I want to have my head down on yeah. my paper. I'm either doodling or I'm tearing up pencil erasers into tiny pieces. They're talking and I'm absorbing. It's amazing when I was in college. So I had education classes and I had history classes. You went to Central or Eastern? Central. Central. And um, the history teachers would just be monotoned and just write and i would write probably eight pages of notes a day just picked it up like that mm -hmm. now i'd go to the, uh, the education courses and everybody needs elementary school teachers i couldn't do that job it is what it is i i i cannot do little kids it's a lot of chaos training. yeah and they do a hell of a job but they were teaching those teachers there were teaching it like an elementary school class yeah, projects and coloring, small groups and, and like that. And, yeah, and um, and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, this is what I'm paying for. 
just give me that teacher that makes me take 1,200 pages of notes a year. Dude, we're a lot more alike than I realized. I, I had to take some education classes just uh, because I was, well, I was going to be a teacher, mm -hmm. and I decided not to be. Thank God, actually. I realized being married to a teacher, how much I would have been actually not just disliked that job because it doesn't fit my personality, mm -hmm. but I think I would have actually been bad at it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't do well with uh, rigid schedules. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to get up and leave my job when I need yeah. to get up and leave. And you can't really do that when you're teaching first no. grade. I actually had a first grade teaching job lined up. I was hired in Memphis, Tennessee, and I didn't have enough money to make my living situation last till the job started. So I just turned it down and went, start killing weeds again. Yeah. <clears throat> well, hey, you do a hell of a job with that. Thank you. But yeah, what I was going to say is those education courses drove me crazy. Yeah. Not just because of, of the style, but educators are a different breed. <laughs> they are. <They're, laughs> a lot of them are a lot to handle. They're very just like big, big yeah. personalities, especially in elementary. You know, that's the one good thing at teaching they sell. So we got a great staff. And it almost reminds me, now I don't know what the staff was when I was a kid in school. Because we just never, there were teachers there and we never talked to them on a personal level or most of them. But uh, Nacelle reminds me of kind of when we went to high school, mm -hmm. just the kids wise. You always had the kids that were there that you could tell were going to go to college. And then it's the majority of the kids. You got college kids that are they're going to go to college. And you got kids that are going to work those jobs that we talked about. And they're there the to play. The world needs those people. They're, they're there to play sports, but they're respectful kids. Mm hmm and and that parents. and I would say ninety five percent of those kids or even higher, it's just a good place to work. You know, respectful, nice kids and a great staff. I will say, when we had our kids there, we had our kids go there for two yeah, years. Yeah, great experience with that yeah. school district. Really good experience. The only only problem that we had with it was there wasn't enough people. Yeah. So our kids are getting lonely. They're having a yeah. hard time making friends and Sawyer especially just because he's kind of quiet at school yeah. and his teachers were starting to let us know like he doesn't really talk the entire day no he, yeah. he was he was very i taught him he was a very quiet kid mm -hmm. very quiet and yeah i try to make him laugh every day but he was just and he's he and he, yeah he's just observing that's really yeah. is what it was he's just taking it all in yeah. but yeah he he needs people around him to kind of like yeah poke and prod him yeah. in, into engagement what grade is he in he's in seventh now Seven and okay. Elsa's in sixth. Gotcha. Yeah, it's yeah, and they're back at Iwako. And I don't know, Iwako, uh, you know, Iwako's got a soft spot in my heart. Oh, yeah, I'll of always course. love it's it, but, and water. it's got its problems, you know, yeah, as they all yeah. do. But well, it's a bigger school, yeah, it's double, yeah, us exactly, you know. So, and they're in a s smaller league than when we were there, so they're the oh. sports are a lot better, they're yeah. a lot more fun, uh, and they win a lot more until you get to the central 2B. I, I don't know about that. What is that? So Waco, well, I meet with them once a month, but Waco plays in the Pacific. So they play the Acostas, they play the Valleys, and, uh, oh, shoot, Chief Leshi and those schools. And that's pretty easy league, except for Valley. Valley's always with Waco. Shout out Valley. And Raymond and South Bend. Now, well, just like the basketball team this year, they just hit a buzzsaw. That Central 2B, which is Toodle Lake, Kalama. Nap our old league. Okay. And they're just on that I-5 corridor. Yeah. And so... I don't understand why the fuck we were in that league. Why were we there? Well, we dropped. We dropped to 1A. But we never won. And we, we clearly had way smaller numbers than them. There was no um, chance we were the same. Actually, we were one, We were 2A 
our freshman sophomore year, we were two A. So that's when we were playing Woodland with center. Well, why did we suck so bad? Well, Woodland in the center and 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 Richfield and White White Salmon. But if we're the same size, why don't we have equal skill level? Because it's it's they have more opportunity. That's the thing. So, um, I don't know if you heard they're trying to build that big complex on the port of Owaco. For yeah, I'm actually excited about that. Uh, Is that a good thing or bad? Oh, that's a great thing. Okay, that's what I thought. I am 100. That's you're hitting. You've so far you've hit everything on my list that um, I haven't even had to bring up. I am 100 in support of that because here's the thing. You're talking Dylan Jude Harrell Community yeah. Center? Yeah, and and they're going to, to my understanding, well, they're, at least they're going to offer gyms. I, I don't know all the ins and outs. Of that. They're going to offer gyms to have tournaments and stuff like that in. That that, And if they offer extras like courses, training courses, and, and in the sense of uh, foot speed and, and, you know, whatever sport you play, they they make that opportunity offered. We are going to start being right on the same lines as what those I five schools have. Oh yeah. So we have we can have Jeff the same exact coaching ability of our coaches as anybody else. Hell, I would put Matt Blair just to go back to our time. Or no, let's take what I have. Billy Olson uh, coached at Wakayakum for thirty years. He's one of the great. He's one of the best coaches in the state. He's a Hall of Fame coach. And Kevin McNulty, same thing. They're Hall of Fame. He is a Hall of Fame coach. And we have some of the greatest coaches out in ACL right now. And the thing that we cannot compete with is if you want extra work, if you want extra training to put prepare you for the next level, we got to drive to at least Longview. Yeah. I'm going to start taking my kid twice a week, uh, probably next year, to Bellevue. Wow. Every every week. Just for skills work? Skills work, foot speed stuff. And they produce, you look at their pedigree, BSN Sports, I think it's called, something like that. They, like BSN Nutrition? No, it's, um, I think it's BSN. But anyways, blue and yellow. It's the same mm. colors as we were in high school. Oh, cool. But uh, they've produced all the D1 talent in the Seattle area, They uh, professionals, stuff like, I don't think, I don't know. I don't, my kid's eight years old, so I don't know how. Yeah, I was just talking about this with Melissa the other day. So we have Elsa. Yeah. Yeah. Elsa is doing pretty well in track. Mm-hmm. She had her first official track meet for junior high yeah. just the other day. And she did pretty well. She yeah. she actually won the eighth grade boys 800. Yeah, I, wa- she's I, saw it on, I saw it on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So we're still like surprised by this, even though we shouldn't yeah. be because we've been training her as a yeah. runner since she was five years old. So what you did there is what I do with my son. I mean, I mean, just what our dad. But it actually worked. Can we, you believe we played, it? It actually worked. You know, and. And the thing about it is they have that. Yeah. That I-5 quarter has that. I mean- On a much grander scale. Chehalis. Chehalis. There was a kid of mine that uh, rolled his ankle in the regional game to go to state, and he um, needed treatment. What did I do? To find out what Mooch did to get this poor boy back in the regional game, come on back next week and catch part two. This has been a production of Ramble by the River with Jeff Nesbitt. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And if you want to join the Patreon for exclusive bonus episodes and more special features, go to patreon.com slash ramblebytheriver. Or just click the subscribe link at the top of the page at ramblebytheriver.com. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks a lot. Can't nobody take